Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Time for Your Mind podcast. This is Courtney Colnane, and we have a very special episode today, one that I've been so excited for. I'm sitting here with the very talented, intelligent, handsome, funny, you know, the list goes on, um, Dr. Elliot Cronenfeld. He is a relationship expert, I guess, at the core. Would you say that? Sure. You know, um, he's a licensed psychologist that is, you know, he runs a group. He has a book. He has a TED Talk. Talks all over the world. We were just talking about that before we went on. What am I missing? Well, I want to be clear. First of all, I'm not a psychologist. I am a licensed social worker. And I have a PhD in human sexuality. And I just think it's important because... um, and people work really hard for their licenses. And I'm really proud to be a social worker. Yeah. Um, so I'm a social worker with a PhD. Doctor. I'm doctor. Yes. Doctor Which K. I also worked really hard Yes, for. absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me on yeah. that. Um, and yeah, I'm doing all kinds of fun and crazy things. I know. I know. This We could spend the whole entire episode talking about all that you are currently doing and have done. But I'd love to get into some of um, some of the questions I've been dying to ask you. So as you know, this podcast mostly revolves around self-assurance. I've found that through my work as a therapist, so much of what I work on with people comes back to self-assurance. Self-assurance is, to me, is the idea of, it's not just a feeling of confidence, but being really grounded in a solid knowing of who you are. Um what you bring to the table, that assurance isn't a fleeting feeling, it's more of a knowing. So my first question for you is what role, and this might be a big question, but if you had to sum it up, what role do you feel like self-assurance plays in relationships? Oh, isn't it the foundation? Um, I think that one of the important impacts on a relationship uh, is too often we enter relationship hoping that our partner will give that to us. And it is not a gift that somebody can give us. It is something that we discover inside of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. This is the work we do. It's how we understand our own agency. And what does it take to find that within ourselves? Um, too often couples will come into my office trying to get the other partner to give them this gift. And initially what we have to do is say, that's not their job. Mm-hmm. This is your work to do. And it's it's shocking for so many people. Yeah. So that brings me to a question I've been dying to ask you because it's, it's loaded and I get asked it all the time in therapy. I'm sure you do too. What do you think about the belief that we have to be complete before we enter in a relationship or we... Um, should spend time alone before we enter into a relationship. Are we ever complete? Right? Right. We're yeah, never, that's, that, that's my thought. That we're never complete. And it's, and if you feel like you're complete, then you're done. Like, check out, right? Like, <laughs> you might be a narcissist. <laughs> you, you, you might be a narcissist. <laughs> yes, you might be a narcissist. Um, I think that we are never complete. And I like to think of relationships as practice, Hmm. Uh, much like we have a therapy practice or a yoga practice. Um, Anyone that does yoga knows that there's no destination, right? It is a constant checking in, where am I now? How am I evolving? 
what am I opening up? Um, in therapy, it's very much the same way. Uh, there is no completion. We may have finished a body of work, but that doesn't mean that we are complete. And I think the same is true in relationships, uh, that we are never complete and our relationship is never complete. Um, there should always be um, the, the certain elements. Uh, I tell people all the time that love and sex are amazing. And I hope you get lots of them. But that's not what holds your relationship together. What holds your relationship together is intention and curiosity. And learning how to use intention and curiosity as strategic relationship skills is what makes your relationship a practice. Because we must always be curious. We must always be intentional. If we are curious, it means that we're not making assumptions. Because uh, curiosity and assumptions are exact opposites of each other, aren't they? Mm. Because if I'm making assumptions, I'm not curious. And if I'm curious, I'm challenging assumptions. And assumptions are often the death knell to a relationship. And so I think that relationships are practiced and practicing those skills of intention and curiosity. I love that. And it's, it's so interesting because my, I've talked about on this podcast before, my therapist, Tian Jennings, shout out, love you. Love her. I love her. <laughs> referral from Dr. K. Um, she echoes a lot of the things, you know, you say in the um, Couples by Intention group that you guys do together. That's right. And that's something that I'm always working on is not assuming, not, not, you know, oh, well, he'll just do this. Or he always says that it's here. He probably feels this way. Why don't you ask? Why don't you get curious about it. Um, how do you, oh gosh, there's so many, so many good things you said there that I want to dig deeper on, but I guess something that I, I get a lot is how do you get somebody to want to work on a relationship that kind of has a preconceived notion that if it's the right person, it should be easy and it should just work. Well, I tell them that that is the absolute falsehood that Hallmark, Disney, and Julia Roberts have sold us, right? <laughs> Catherine Heigl, <laughs> all of you. Yeah, like all of us, right? <laughs> that we have been given this narrative, and <clears throat> no matter how you identify or what relationship structures you believe in, we have been told that the longer we're together, the more I should know you. And we should be able to finish each other's sentences, and um, that how can you not know me after all the years we've been together? And I don't want my husband to know me that well, because <laughs> what it means if he thinks he does, he's not paying attention. We have to have a relationship with the person who's in front of us today, not the person we were with five years ago, mm -hmm. not the person we hope they will become five years from now. Um, we need to pay attention and we are changing every minute of every day. And for those of you that have children, you know that all of a sudden one day your kids are wearing pants and you're like, damn, when did your pants get so short? <laughs> because your children have grown and they've changed, but we don't notice it in the day to day. Um, but we need some kind of marker that says, oh, I notice something is different. Mm -hmm. And the same is true in our relationships and with our beloved, except if we're not looking for those markers like short pants on our kids, we're not paying attention. I think that the ability to 
be aware that we would not want our partners to hold us to who we were five years ago. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing it to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so in that way, it kind of helps people see that it, it challenges that belief that just the right person, it just clicks, it just works and all those sort of things that I think is um I find often that there's one person who wants to work on it and there's one person that's like, sometimes, you know, this is, this is tough. This is just too, too, you know, what do I have to do to like, like if this is this much work, are we really well, right for each that other? a little bit, right? Yeah. Because I never know who wants to work on it, who doesn't, because the way they present in the room with me, I never assume that's because they want to work on it or they feel obligated to work on it or they're afraid of what will happen if they don't work on it. It doesn't mean they want to work on it. Mm. And one of my favorite arguments that happens, I I call it therapy comedy gold, um, (laughs) and I actually love when it happens, is when I have a couple on the couch and they start getting really angry with each other. You don't love me. Yes, I do. No, you don't. You never even try. I try all the time. No, you don't. I love this because it's such a wonderful opportunity to remind people that we don't know what's going on inside of people. Mm -hmm. All we can see is behavior, hear specific words that are being used, and noticing the tone and body language that people are using. And from that, we try to extrapolate what people think and feel. Yeah. But we don't know. And that's, again, part of making assumptions. Right. And I say to people, okay, hold on a second. Let's, let's put a pin in this argument for a minute. If your partner was trying, What would you be looking for? What would you see? What would you hear? Because your partner may be trying really hard, but in ways that you're not paying attention to. Mm. Um, And the other partner is getting frustrated. I'm putting in all this work and I'm getting no credit for it. Well, because you're not doing it in a way that it can be received. And so I think a big part of the work is sometimes just translation. Yeah. Right? Because if we're both agreeing that we're in it, I'm going to take you at face value and believe you. My job is to help you get credit for that Mm -hmm. and to realize that anything of value is worth work, right? And what would you need to get back to make the work worth it? Because if we don't open up with the value proposition, why would anybody come into my office and work this hard? And that's just such a practical way to have people buy into therapy or, or work in general. Maybe it doesn't look like therapy for everyone, but... And that brings me kind of to my next question is, you know, okay, we have a yoga practice. So we go every Wednesday at, you know, five. What would you recommend couples do for a relationship practice? I think there's a couple of things. Um, First of all, I do, there are a number of exercises that I do in the beginning of my work with couples to scaffold this work, to to build some framework, to make sure that we're creating a common language. The first thing I do is teach them how to listen because relationships are modeled for us in either really destructive ways or really vacant ways. It is rare that I get somebody in here that says, I had such a great role model for relationships and what that work looks like and how intimacy is supposed to be performed. I got it. I almost never get that. Yeah. And so 
we spend a lot of time up front just being clear about that, that you don't have to feel bad about the position you're in because nobody taught you these skills. But somehow or another, we believe we're supposed to know them because we saw Hallmark and Disney and all <laughs> these other places. And um, But that's not what real relationship feels like. And so we we try to aspire to be these, these idealistic models. So I think in the beginning, we have to set some standards. We have to be realistic. And then after I teach people how to listen and how to really listen in a way that you don't have to be defensive and you can start to use curiosity as a strategic relationship skill, we start to open up. I, I think words are important. And I, in a, to the point where it's almost obnoxious, I will define words for people. And somebody will use language. And I'll say, wait, wait, hold on. What does that word mean? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you? Because we hear words and we react to them. Totally. And when we can define them, all of a sudden we start realizing what I'm hearing and what you're saying isn't the same. Right. Like, a, oh, you're not even trying. Yes, I am trying. But what is trying? What is trying? Or, or you always. And like these yeah, like catch yeah, human yeah. language patterns. And what I tell people is that to come in here and do this work, first of all, it's not fast. And it's going to take some time. And so you need three qualities to be successful here. You need to be consistent, which means there needs to be like a drumbeat. You need, you can't just do one session, right? Mm -hmm. You need to come in with regularity and, and develop that practice. You must be persistent because this work is hard. Mm -hmm. And to be persistent means you have faced a challenge and you've done it, right? Keep showing up. And yeah. you must be insistent, meaning I demand that we stay focused here, that and of, I am insistent of myself and I am insistent of you. So consistent, persistent, insistent. And to agree as a working group, the three of us in this room, that we're going to hold those three qualities as the thing that will be the gas in the tank. And then whatever else happens after that, we can handle it mm -hmm. because we're going to be consistent and persistent and insistent because the value of the work is what we want. That's so huge because I feel like those three rules are, you know, um, framework you try to give people. It really just says you got to make your relationship a priority and working on it, a priority where, again, I think that's something that's not taught to us is that relationships are work or, you know, you have to prioritize it in some way. And I think it's, it's, I love a lot of the things you talk about that I've heard secondhand from Tian are that it's, it's not the date night, you know, that's sure that may be an element, but it's so much deeper than, okay, here's work in my relationship. We're going to hire a sitter and we're going to go on a date night, but we're doing the same things when we're at a restaurant than when we're at home. We're still on our cell yeah, phone yeah. and we're not talking about anything meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds to me like communication and listening, like obviously listening is a huge part of communication, but that's really at a foundation of what you teach couples. I think part, again, comes down to curiosity and intention. It's about realizing 
what our role is. I a couple of things that I tell couples early on is the healthiest relationships have the clearest boundaries. I love that. I've stolen that from you. Okay. Now everyone knows. No. Right. But it yeah. is probably one of the most profound statements I've ever heard because I think about it in terms of being a boss, being a parent, being a friend. That's right. That's right. You know, um, it's as universal. a client, a client th- um, therapist relationship. You know, here's, here's the boundaries. And then, you know, it's, it's just clear and you can stick to the work. So, yeah. That's right. And it, it makes sure that we're staying within our lane. And I think the thing that goes along with that is what I call the no helping rule. Mm-hmm. And I'm very adamant about the no helping rule. And I call it out in session when I find it. Um, the no helping rule basically says, I don't help you. You don't help me. And that often runs counter, uh, and counterintuitive to everything we believe a relationship is supposed to be. And what I mean by helping, I want to be very specific about this. There are typically three main ways that we help. Let me cut your meat for you. Let me do your chore for you. Let me insert myself into what you're doing. And that can be really annoying. I am so bad at I just like this morning, I was trying to help my husband get my son ready for swim class. And I was just fucking everything up like he just uh, he had a flow and then he's like I can do it I'm like but I want to help and he's like you're not helping you're not helping so that's almost like a tangible sometimes we emotionally help or verbally Mm -hmm. help but that was such a tangible that's right you're not helping you're not helping yeah the second way we help is advising right don't forget call your boss and say this did you remember to pick up the dry cleaning right (laughs) your mother's waiting for you to call (laughs) <laughs> right? And it's it's that management of another. Mm-hmm. And the third way of helping is probably the most insidious way of helping, which is where we help in our own brain, but we don't let the other person know we are doing it. Courtney and I need to have this conversation. It's important. Courtney's not going to handle it well. It's going to make her cry. Mm-hmm. So instead of having this conversation with you, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do this thing instead to manage it so that you don't have to deal with the hardship or the reality of what's going on. I'm just going to manage it and leave you out of it. Now, regardless of which way we're helping, all forms of helping are predicated on two problems. The first is the assumption that I know better than you. I am more capable than you. You are not capable. You are not as efficient as I am, that you cannot do it on your own that um, you will fail without me, that mm. you cannot stand on your own two feet. Like so many other really gross I'm so assumptions. so called out right now. I right? just got to <laughs> say that. <laughs> and the second problem here, and this gets to that self-assurance piece, right, is that as adults, the way that we learn and grow, the way that we grow confidence is that we wrestle really tough shit to the ground we get banged up a little bit and we come out the other side and the longer we're together, the more complex our lives become. And I have to grow my skill and my distress tolerance to meet the level of complexity that our relationship has, which means you have to let me struggle Mm. because if you keep stopping my struggle, then I'm not learning and I'm not growing. And then you're getting mad at me for being undeveloped and that's problematic. Complete. I did a whole podcast episode on distress tolerance. It's, I think it's a concept that 
is people don't get our own distress tolerance, how it shows up with others, why, you know, how we can complain, but it's uh, so much of people's issues are really their lack of distress tolerance. Exactly. Right. Because what's it like not to insert yourself while your husband's getting the baby ready for swim class? It's your distress tolerance you can't handle. And the, the reality here is we can help, but there has to be two situations in which we help. One is if you ask me for help mm -hmm. and I agree to help you and I can say no, and that's an okay answer. No, I can't help you. Or no, I don't want to help you. You're like, Mike, just so you know, no is an okay answer. No is an okay answer, right? We're getting a free session here. Right, Mike, no is an okay answer. And um, and it, and that doesn't mean I won't help you next time, mm -hmm. but the answer this time is no. Mm -hmm. The second option is if I offer you help and you want to take it. And again, you can yeah. say, no, I don't need your help. Thank you very much. I can get the baby ready for swim class. But that's a curiosity piece. Right. You know, I think not assuming it, it fosters curiosity. Yes. But if I do accept your help, I want you to know that it is boundary. So if I ask you to bring the groceries in and put them away, that doesn't mean chop my carrots and salt my stew pot. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give you carte blanche to start helping all over my life. Mm -hmm. It means bring the groceries in, put them in the cabinet, and you're done. Thank you very much. And I love this because as I'm thinking about it, I just feel like it really fosters autonomy. Yes. I know where I stand and I know what my value is in this relationship. And quite frankly, if you're struggling and you know you can ask for help, but you don't, I know you understand that's on you. That is your work to do. Because if you need my help, you know you can ask me. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, we have an understanding that that's you doing your work. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And I th see so many couples get stuck with like, well, I helped you and you said no. So now I just never ask you for help right. instead of that constant curiosity. That's right. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I come home and, you know, my husband's having a, a rough night. And I come home, I go, how are you doing? Bad day. Okay. Anything about us? Nope. Mm. We okay. all know that right? scenario. And, and I'm like, okay, I offered, <laughs> you're telling me it's not about us. I'm not going to own that. Do you want to talk about it? Nope. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to be in the other room working on a jigsaw puzzle, right? Or doing whatever <laughs> Far I'm away doing, from you. Yeah. Right. If you need me, I'm in there. Call me, text me, give me a yell. I'm happy to come back, but clearly you're, you're doing your work. Good job. I'll see you later. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to be all in your work. I don't know if, if it's a me thing or a woman thing or you, some a personality type, but that is so hard for me. And then I'll, I'll call Everybody. myself out, out again. And then I complain that I have too much on my plate, but I insert myself in so many different right. things that don't need insertion. Right. So what would happen if you were only doing your own work and not everybody else's? Mm-hmm. Right. As as a partner, as a parent, as a business owner, even as a therapist, sometimes when I do supervision, I have to remind other therapists, whose work are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, what, what's that about? Yeah. And I think I've recognized that people seem a lot more self-assured in areas that are easier for them, you know? 
that it's easier to have the boundaries and to not think twice about it if you have a, a stronger foundation of self-assurance. You know, some people really struggle at work, but their marriage, they almost never talk about in therapy. Or they, they struggle with their children or their friendships or, you know, their their siblings. Well, I, yeah. And I think that let, let's extend this a little further. Like when we talk about the concept of intimacy, mm-hmm. right? My definition of intimacy is the balance between safety and vulnerability, right? And we really have to balance those two out. Because if we're so safe that we can't be vulnerable, we're closed off. Mm-hmm. If we're so vulnerable that we don't feel safe, we're terrified. Mm-hmm. So real intimacy is when we balance out safety and vulnerability so that we can be present, we can feel contained. But in order to do that, we need to have healthy boundaries so that we can communicate about that. We need to know that if I say, no, thank you, I don't need you in my business right now, you'll respect that. Mm-hmm. And that... We have a way of being and working with each other that our own sense of agency can come through and that we don't always have to be in the same place at the same time because that's not what makes us a good couple. What makes us a good pair is the respect and dignity that we are working to be present in our own way, in our own time, and in our own space. Inevitably, one person is a faster processor than the other. Mm -hmm. One is a more external processor than the other. We don't have to be the same. But what we have to work on is a sense of safety so that we can be vulnerable and figuring out what that flow looks like in the couple. And I think that is ultimately the work of really good couples therapy. That's great. That's so great. And such a clear... Direction. I mean, so sometimes it's like it's not working, it's overwhelming, there's so many problems, and I think you do such a good job of just here's some things you can hold on to. Safety, vulnerability, boundaries, um, curiosity, intention. Let's talk for a second about the intention piece, because okay. I talk a lot about more in the terms of, of individuals, like are you intentional with your life or are you on autopilot? And I think a lot of t- that fosters a lot of self-assurance issues when people don't self-reflect and and have a life that they intend to. You know, I think some people get stuck in old habits or they are, oh, one day I'll fix this or this just works for now. So tell me a little bit more about a couple that's really healthy. What does the intention piece look like? So let's first of all define what we mean by intention. Okay. Right? Because we can't talk about a concept without defining it. I love Again, it. There you, you go. Got to define words, He's right? consistent, folks. Right? <laughs> right? Um, so the way that I describe intention is um, there, there's a process to intentionality. The, the first step is we have to assess what all of our options are. We have to know that. Um, and the difference between living with intention or living by default, living by default, we're not looking at our options. So the first thing we have to do is we have to look at all of our options. Once we've got all of our options, we have to place a value on each option. There's a cost-value relationship to each option. What will I get from it? What will it cost? I just love that explanation. Sorry not to interrupt you, but like it just makes it so simple and and, um, rational. Well, that's what we have to do, right? We have to make it understandable. Yeah. Once I've placed a a cost-value equation on each of my options, I have to rank order them in some way. 
I have to sort them. And I then have to choose which one I'm going to do based on whatever values I'm going to use. I have to choose one. And then I actually have to act on it. And most people forget the last step. I have to act on it. Now, I am a caffeine addict. Um, and I can walk into any coffee shop in the world and I instantly know what all of my options are. And I can whip off the bougiest coffee order <laughs> off the top of my head in any coffee shop in the world. And I can change it on a dime because I know what I want. I know where I'm feeling in the moment. I'm ready to go. There are times in life we can't operate that quickly. Do I want to marry you? Do I want to have a baby with you? Do I want to buy a house with you? Those kinds of intentionalities are going to be slower, and they should be. Um, and so being able to learn that we have to regulate and give ourselves enough time to follow through on this process. Now, in a healthy couple, what does intentionality look like? I think that intentionality in a healthy couple looks like a lot of things. Um, and it's different for every couple, right? Because every couple um, shows up differently. I do think that it's things such as not being afraid of challenging conversations and being able to say, we need to talk about this. Um, thinking about sex and talking about what sex means to you and what kind of sex is gratifying for you and not feeling like you're just supposed to know. Uh, intentionality is planning for the future and having hard conversations about the coming phases in life. Um, really taking care of one's body because one of the things we know is men die quicker and sicker mm -hmm. because they don't take care of themselves. And going to the doctor and uh, taking care of your body and paying attention and uh, being attuned. I think that intentionality is doing your own individual work, right? Life and our body is a practice and very intentionally doing all of those things. Um, I think coming to couples therapy is, uh, I think it's a gift and a position of privilege because I know not everybody can do it. Uh, not everybody has insurance and not everybody has the money to pay for the wonderful experience of couples therapy. And I know that couples therapy is a privilege. But I tell people all the time, don't come to couples therapy when you're on the edge and you're about to divorce. Because all I can do at that point is tip you over and help yeah. you sort through the oh, rubble yeah. and figure out where you're going to go from there. Come to couples therapy when things are going well. Mm -hmm. when, when you have enough resiliency and enough self-assuredness to actually do the work. Because couples therapy is fun. Couples therapy is challenging. Couples therapy is introspective and reflective, and it is hard, but it is fun if you're doing it at the right time. Definitely. And I think that therapy in general, I think, helps you be intentional because it builds that distress tolerance. You know, right before we hopped on, we were talking about how clients are sometimes like, oh my God, I hate you. you hate you so much. Like, I can't believe you <laughs> called me out. You said that. It's like, then I'm the doing best thing yes, to say because, to <laughs> you know, this good things are, are hard. Anything worth having is worth working for. That's so, right. you know, I think doing something hard, as you pointed out, builds that distress tolerance, which helps you look at your options and be intentional. You're not afraid of an option. If you know, even if it's hard, you can handle it. Well, and I think that's really where the Couples by Intention group came out of. 
Um, so I've been running this group for wow, more than 15 years now. And it's, it is so much fun. It is so much fun. My husband and I are going to do it at some point. Oh, so I excited to do it. I cannot wait for the two of you to come <laughs> in and do this. Group. Comedian Mike McPherson will oh, bring to the group. Yeah. I, I want Mike in my, in my room so much. <laughs> um, so it is what I realized. This group came out of something. I realized I was working with these really great couples and we were having the same conversation over and over and over again. I'm like, oh, what I'm realizing is that these couples are discovering all of this for the first time which tells me that they're not talking to their friends about this. Nobody modeled it for them. Their parents mm -hmm. didn't model it for them. And they're not out talking to their friends about relationship at this level. I have an opportunity to put all those couples together in a room. And so the Couples by Intention group is six couples in a room for 12 weeks talking about all of these things and saying, oh, here are other couples that are doing the same work we're doing, having the same types of discovery. Now, they may not be doing it like us. They're, for them, it works this way. And for a couple over there, it works that way. For us, we're somewhere in the middle. And it's all good. There's no right answer here. But when do we ever get to sit and talk with other couples about the work of being a couple? As a couple. I love that. Right? You may go talk to a couple of girlfriends about it. Maybe Mike's going and talking to a guy friend about it. But when you talk about it with others as a couple and build a community that says, ah, I'm not the only couple doing this work. That keeps me invested in the work. Absolutely. And it's it's worth seeing results. Our relationship is better. You know, I, I think, first of all, I also want to say, um, Dr. K has a book on this, Couples by Intention, that you can order on Amazon. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to go to the group, even though highly recommend. Um, but, you know, I see a lot of people just maybe finding comfort in venting or bitching, especially I can speak mostly to women, you know, about especially the mom, mommy groups. It's like, well, my husband does this. Oh, cool. Mine does too. I feel better. And that isn't working on it. That's not productive. I mean, we all need to vent at times, but I, I think being able to talk about people that are working on it in a productive way is really important too. Well, and I think especially if we're talking about heteronormative couples, right? Um, because in the couples by intention group, we have straight couples, we have gay couples, yeah. we have trans couples, we have younger couples, we have older couples, and we really try to mix up the dynamics so we can see that there are some commonalities that regardless of what type of couple you are, there's just some, some commonalities just to couples own. Yeah. However, in heteronormative couples, um, I think that one of the greatest challenges we face is how the different genders are socialized. Mm. Um, you know, there are these, in my doctoral dissertation, I really studied men in relationships. Uh, because I'm fascinated by how men show up in relationship. And in my research, one of the things that I discovered with great clarity is that there are, I, I asked men, what was your job here in this relationship? And without exception, without exception, every man said the same thing, most of them using the same language. And as you know, language is really important for me. They said, my job is to fix, provide, and stabilize. And if I'm doing a really good job, I get to fuck, right? So I, 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 have, right. I yeah. have to fix things around the house. I have to get the car fixed. I have to take the trash out. I have to provide an income. I have to provide home. I have to provide money for groceries, diapers, all the stuff. 
and I have to stabilize because nobody likes it when mama goes off the rails. <laughs> Keep all the boats calm, right? And if I'm not having a good sex life, it means I'm not killing it on the other three roles. That's what it tells me. Mm -hmm. I haven't done a good job fixing, providing, and stabilizing. But nowhere in there was the understanding that, oh, my job is to take care of my body. My job is to be emotionally available. My job is to be introspective. My job is to grow and educate myself and culture myself. My job is like, none of that emotionally was Emotionally support. Right? Yeah. Be present. All the, yeah. Whereas when you ask women, what is your job in this relationship? You almost get the converse answers. And so these two partners in heteronormative relationships are coming in with these job expectations that don't align, which is why I love doing couples therapy because we can we can lay all of that on the table. Even just hearing that's mind blowing, yeah. and, and factual. <laughs> and you know, you hear all these people say, "What's wrong with me? Why am I? Why can't I find the right one?" Or why there is I'm... nothing wrong with you. I know. Right? Let me start with that. There is nothing wrong with you. Your approach mm. needs some attention. Definitely. And I think that's where I see a lot of people who are in and out of relationships or have been single for a long time feel like it takes a toll on their self-assurance where it's like, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I can't find someone. Maybe it's not in the cards for me. Where I think there's just so many things that we don't think about that play all these roles in our relationship satisfaction, on the work we do, on the conversations we have, the way we fight. Amen. You know? So this Amen. was so incredible. Elliot, thank you so much. I want you to share where people can find you, um, you know, aside from your book on Amazon and the TED Talk, if you, it's on YouTube. It is. And it's also, and it's great. Um, the book also has its own webpage, couplesbyintention.com. And you can see the TED Talk and the post interview on there as well. So oh, great. just couplesbyintention.com. You can contact me through that webpage. Great. Well, thank you so much. We might have to do another one on, on men's mental health because that is actually a big um, thing I'm, you know, talk about with men, women of all sorts of things. So yeah, let us know if you want to hear more about that um, at Courtney Colnane on Instagram. And you know my website, starboardgrowth.mykajabi.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.